Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program we'll be having a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one is look for emotional cues during tough conversations. And Christina is actually uh, over in uh, Spain today, so she won't be with us. So I'm going to do the Minute on Innovation, and we're going to be looking at some innovations from the way back in the past, over 100 years ago. Some interesting little innovations there. But right now we're going to have a chat with an expert in family business, uh, Philip Pryor, and talk about effective communication for families in business. Good afternoon, Philip. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, and Neil joining us from... uh, I don't know whether it's warm or cold, New, New Zealand. It's actually very sunny, warm Wellington. Um, oh. It's amazing. I think we've probably got well one sunny day of the year for them. <laughs> it's wonderful. And you're on your way back home? or? Uh, yeah, yeah, about to land in Sydney in a couple of hours' time. Okay, so, so let, talking about communication, why is communication so important in family businesses relative to other businesses? is actually fairly simple. Um, All businesses need good communication. But in family businesses, you're also smushing together the family and the business. And so it needs to be just that much better um, because you've got the business relationships and the business issues to deal with as well as the family relationships. And sometimes there's history that goes on and comes in in the family. And so it is utterly critical to really work and keep working around the, the clarity of the communication in a family business, even more so than a regular business. Mm. Well, what are some of the consequences of poor communication for the business and for the family? Well, the, the, the big one is around expectations. And you know, a business, by definition, is different to a family. Um, you know, a business has a focus on you know, making some money, um, productivity, all that sort of thing. Families often have you know, very similar, different agendas. So it's been really clear around what are the expectations. Um, you, you sometimes get family members who sort of think that they can go in and, and just because they're family, um, be involved in the business. Um, or you might get the other happening where someone employs you know, their brother or someone and sort of underpays them or often actually doesn't pay them, right? just expects them to do the job. Mm. So it, it's really being very clear around what's going on and what we often talk about is which hat are you wearing? Are you wearing your business hat or are you wearing your family hat? And often those two get very confused. Mm. And, um, and so sometimes people in both the business and or the family don't actually know which conversation they're having. Um, and of course, you can have multiple conversations in business. You could be talking, if you're at a board meeting, you're talking about strategy and investments and board issues. And at the shareholder level, that's another type of conversation. And at management, that's another one, right? Mm. But then you've got all the family conversations that you could be having. You could be mum and dad or a son or daughter or you know, a cousin or whatever it is. So mm. those are all really different conversations. And it's really important to be clear about well, which, which conversation we're having right now. And that takes a lot of work around the communication space. Well, well, can you give us some examples? I mean, you've been working with families a lot. Some examples where things have fallen apart because of lack of communication? Yeah. You know, most business owners will say to me, we we only want the best for our family, or we'll never never let the business get in the way of family relationships. 
And unfortunately, I see various examples where it happens. It does. Um, and, and, it, and the problem with family, I, I, I think family business is brilliant. Right? I think it's just the most amazing thing. However, when it goes wrong, the consequences can be really pretty high. Um, so if the, if the family business goes wrong, you've got, a, say, a loss of money um, or reputation and that sort of thing. But you can also lose family relationships. Mm. And, mm. Um, and, and that can be awful. Um, so I know an example where um, some parents, they, they had their son and he was working as a fairly senior executive in business and it was quite a large business. But what they weren't good at was being honest with him about his performance. And over years, his performance was really pretty woeful. Um, and uh, one, one of the guys who was franker than I am was basically saying, you've got to sack your son. Now, that's a hell of a thing for parents to actually have to do. And, yeah. And, and the, the challenge was, well, the, the, the solution would be at the beginning, be very clear about feedback, what's working, what's not. So mum and dad are the, the shareholders or the directors of the business. They need to be wearing their director's hat, talking to the son with his you know, management hat on, going, this is what we expect. Mm. And, um, and, and having that conversation now is easier said than done at times because you know, parents you know, just want the best for their children. Mm. And the trap at times is being too nice and not being honest enough. Mm. Um, and that and that that one actually became a real problem. And the son finally resigned, and but didn't talk to his parents for months, six months. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so the cost when it goes wrong can be really high. Mm. Are, are there some simple tools or techniques that families might try to to remember when communicating with each other? Yeah. Look. One level, it's not that complex. Um, you mentioned in your introduction, you were talking about the HBR paper around emotional cues, right? Mm. That's probably one of the key things in a family business, um, and it's sometimes harder with family members because we're so used to seeing them and being around them. Um, but the the challenge is often managing the emotions, um, mm. and you've got the factual details of the situation, whether that's the financials or whatever's happening, right? And then you've got about how you feel about it. Mm. And so it's being able to manage emotions. It's being able to have honest conversations. So we work on a, a three-circle model, which is talking about the importance of fairness, transparency, and honesty. Mm. And um, and so the more transparent in a family business, the better. Mm. Um, you know, I, I will sometimes get um, parents to actually put their rules on the table and go, "Here's the deal. Right? This is what we're. Yeah. This, is, this is our plan, right?" Yeah. Because if you if you have that level of transparency, then you don't get the conspiracy theory. Yeah. I, and and they can go crazy. I would think that it would be essential to have those upfront rules. This is this is this is the terms yeah. and conditions sort of thing. And these are the expectations, and, and we'll yeah. often get them to do up what we call a family constitution or a family charter. And those are really a, a, a document that's negotiated, a set of rules that's negotiated by the family. So yeah. you can hear the expectations, and this is what we agree to. Yeah. And that could be everything from how we deal with money, what happens around innovation, or if someone wants to invest in somewhere, um, the rules for coming into the business, and also families have all sorts of really interesting rules that you know what, how you come in, the next generation come into the business. Mm. Um, th those sort of that sort of document and conversations just really save a huge amount, right? Um, yeah, 
hugely. And and you get it documented, and and we make sure that people have enough time to really think through the implications. And and I really because it's not a legally binding document. Aspects of it are whether it's a shareholder agreement or wills and so on. But most of it is emotionally binding. Yeah. And I really need people to feel to sort of sit with that and go, "Yep, I'm happy to sign this and be part of this." And they they're enormously powerful and important for the family business. Um, I think the other couple of other things, right, would be be really clear which conversation you're having. Um, and sometimes we'll say to people, have your board meeting uh, or a management meeting in one place and only talk about board and, and business stuff and then have a family meeting in a totally different place. Mm. Uh, sometimes that physical separation. Go have a family meeting in a great in a nice little restaurant and you can have a you know, glass of wine and then sit around and talk and have your board meeting somewhere else. Because yeah. um, often, again, they just tend to mush that all together and you get completely confused about what's going on. Right? Mm. So, it's, it's, again, it's that hat thing, being really clear which hat are you wearing and sometimes change that physical context um, mm. is really useful. Well, Philip, thanks very much for your tips. I think they're very, very useful for us. Uh, you oh, have a safe pleasure. trip back to Australia yeah. and maybe we'll have a chat with you again another time. Uh, pleasure. would love to. Thanks, Julian. Really appreciate the Thank time. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Okay. Philip Pryor there with some very effective communications for families in business. And, uh, yeah, I mean, communication is important in all business, isn't it? But uh, when families are involved, all sorts of things can happen. And it would be time normally for our Minute on Innovation with Christina. As I said, uh, she's over in Spain at the moment. So uh, what I've come across is a very valuable little list of some early innovations. We keep talking with Christina about some of the current way out innovations that are happening. But it's interesting to look back at history sometimes. And a magazine called Business View has got these listed for us. And, and in, in 1884, James Alston was working as a blacksmith and agricultural machinery manufacturer in Victoria when he was inspired to turn his hand to design his to, de to design his creation a metal frame with curved sails which he painted in 1884 and had the power of pump uh, uh, artesian water and drive shearing machines sawmills and ploughs by the 1890s the windmills were part of Australian landscape and then began to prove popular in China India and parts of Africa by 1924, more than 50,000 Alston windmills were being used around the world. We all drive around Australia these days and see those windmills, don't we? Back there from 1884, he saw an opportunity and came up with that. And William Rams Ramsey in 1908, he launched Kiwi Dark Tanned Boot Polish. The original Kiwi boot polish was patented in Melbourne by Scottish-born William Ramsey. He named it in honour of his wife's country of birth and chose the flightless New Zealand bird as its logo. The polish was high quality but just one of a number of competing brands until 1908. Ramsey launched Kiwi Dark Tan, the first polish to restore colour to faded leather. Within three years, Kiwi was an Australian favourite. Then, World War I created huge demand for Australian, British and later American forces. Today, Kiwi is the world's number one shoe care brand. So really going back there to 1908. And also in 1908, Alice Schieffer 
unveils a range of personal care products. She was a physician and was right thinking that Australian would appreciate a new approach in personal care. The Rexona range of scented ointments, beauty soaps and men's shaving soaps she launched in 1908 quickly proved popular. The products were manufactured with, with which her husband had co, you know, with a company that her husband had co-founded in 1904. An advertising campaign featuring customer testimonials, celebrity endorsements proved successful in driving sales. So there's another well-known brand going back uh, well over a hundred years, and uh, many of us have probably heard of the Hills Hoist in 1945. Lance Hill didn't invent the rotary clothesline. Fellow Aussie Gilbert Toyne painted one in 1926. But he did design the cast aluminium winding gear that raises rotary lines up into the breeze. This was in 1945, when recently returned from World War II, he found his wife struggling to hang the family's washing on the line, strung between trees and held up with wooden props. The first batch of Hills hoists were made from metal tubing salvaged from the boom that had been hanging under the Sydney Harbour Bridge to catch enemy submarines. From there, Hills' commitment to quality and an innovative approach to marketing saw the Hills hoist expand into Hills Industries, which now sells a range of products around the world. So we can see that uh, some of these amazing entrepreneurs and innovations that we talk about with Christina have been around for hundreds of years as well. Time for our Harvard Business Review tip. This one is look for emotional cues during tough conversations, which fits in quite nicely with Philip Pryor's comments earlier. Many managers take a rational approach to handling tough conversations at work. This means they often fail to pay enough attention to the emotions involved. But when emotions are ignored, they can derail everything. Let's say an employee is underperforming and needs to be coached. Before explaining where he is falling short and setting goals for important, I'm sorry, improvement, pause to think about how both you and he feel. Acknowledge how disappointed you are and consider how scared and threatened he might be. Doing this will help you keep notice once you sit down that his arms are crossed or that he looks worried. This suggests he's already on the defensive, so you should try to establish a connection or more upbeat tone before addressing the issue. Launching right into his performance likely won't lead to a productive coaching conversation. Recognising small emotional cues like these will help you respond proactively and adaptively. And I think that comes into all our things. But as uh, Philip said earlier, even the family, particularly the family emotions come in, but there's always emotions, I think, in a workplace. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. As I said earlier, we, we spoke with Philip Pryor about effective communication for families in business. And uh, we know there's a large number of fam family businesses in Australia. And we've had a look at a couple of those innovations from over 100 years ago. In a moment, Sarah Farley-Adams will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with Craig McGregor about using LinkedIn in recruitment. 
We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina when she comes back from Spain and more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Till then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Bertrand Russell once said, the world is full of magical things patiently waiting for our wits to grow sharper. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.